they faced incredible odds and unbeatable enemies to earn the name Hero. But now there's a new way to spell action. Jim Carrey is Ace Ventura, pet detective. He's the best there is. Excuse me, gentlemen. Pet detective. Actually, he's the only one there is. You really love animals, don't you? If it gets cold enough. Now, the mascot of the Miami Dolphins has been kidnapped. Oh, righty then. And he's on the case of a lifetime. Listen, pet dick. How would you like me to make your life a living hell? Well, I'm not really ready for a relationship, Lois. There's no place he won't go. Captain's log, starting 23.9. Ace, get out of the tank. I just can't do it, Captain. I don't have the power. Nothing he won't do. And no one he can't handle. Hey! I could do anything to embarrass me in front of camp. What? Like this? Hi, Captain Steubing. Because when this pet detective gets the scent... Where's Dan Marino? Hi, I'm Dan Marino. Marino, why? Because he's about to join Snowflake. He'll follow it... anywhere. Here's Snowflake. Jim Carrey is... Do not go in there. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Yes, yes, yes! Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we have a really relevant film today. David, you just lost your your 13-foot pet Komodo dragon. Uh, who are we going to possibly get to uh, track that down? Well, I mean, I uh, Coco's gone. Um, I'm assuming she ran away, but she could have been kidnapped. Either way, I, I'm going to need a professional to help me. I need a pet detective, and uh, I think there's only one man to call, and I think that's Ace Ventura, pet detective. That's right. That's that's he is the, man. the best in the biz. <laughs> he gets the only done. one in the biz. The whole biz. <laughs> what? Uh, Who's that? Wait. Wait. Well, wait. It's a random, voice. random fourth voice in this. Ah, crash the party, folks. Uh oh, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one person we could bring in to help with this case, and it's Joe Seta. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, the cocoonies are back together again. The cocoonies <laughs> reunite. <laughs> We're doing it again. Hello. <laughs> well, Welcome. thanks for having me, despite you know what I bring to the show in the past. <laughs> yeah, despite. We figure if we keep bringing you back, uh, you'll get it right one of these days. I'm just going to keep trying. Just keep trying. I'm hanging up B plus across give up. the board. Never yeah. give up. Never surrender. Appreciate we believe it. in second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Eighth or... time now, guys. Okay, <laughs> we're on the eighth. Ooh. Eight Oof. timers club. Oh boy, very optimistic on our end. So, Joe, what's going on with uh, your podcast? It happened one year. 
Oh, we are still uh, cooking through season three, 1984. Uh, we're covering the trying to find the most 1984 of topics. So, you know, we've done lifestyles, the rich and famous. Uh, we did a little love boat. Uh, we just recorded a pretty wild "Who's the Boss" episode. This sounds like Ooh. a lot of TV. I I, I admit, um, you don't hear but, a lot of uh, "Who's the Boss" podcasts out there. No, so. but Sarah is a, a huge "Who's the Boss" person, and so I managed to just one night. It was like, hey, should we do a show? And it was like, "Who's the Boss" was the obvious thing to talk about. So, but you know, we're covering a lot of things. Uh, a lot of a lot of music. A lot of uh, uh, we did a Tip O'Neill episode for all you Speaker of the House heads out there. It's it's yeah. been a weird year. <laughs> It's it that's that's uh, been a popular thing lately. So, oh, you can't swing a stick without hitting two uh, Tip O'Neill podcasts. That's just how it is. <laughs> Any uh, weird murders or serial killers or uh, things on the on the horizon there? Uh, in '84, uh, we're trying were to there, keep it light. Uh, was anyone you know, killed in '84? I, I think Marvin wasn't Marvin Gaye was killed in '84. Oh, uh, I, I, I wasn't planning on was. talking about it, but okay. I mean, thanks for bringing David, it up. We'll, David's uh, got to go morbid. He's got to like the dark. morbid side. You're gonna come yeah. in. I'm gonna have to bring you in to talk about it because <laughs> apparently that's I your wheelhouse. I want to talk this to you is... about some of my hero. I mean, some murderers. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you take david out of shocktober he just oh. needs to have <laughs> he comes in grizzly yeah this is what you've done to me <laughs> i stay dark <laughs> one check after dark all right well well this Hashtag one won't check after dark. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we've got a nice light one today although there is murder in it actually so maybe that'll fulfill a need for you today <laughs> that's why i'm in good spirits i think yeah scratching that ugly itch check the box um, David, catch us up for anyone who hasn't seen it in a while, which may be some people out there. I feel like it's not, uh, it's one of those movies that a lot of people haven't rediscovered. But what's uh, what's happening in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? Uh, well, it was written by uh, Jack Bernstein and Tom Shadyak and Jim Carrey, directed by Tom Shadyak. Am I saying that right? Um, and it's about a detective who specializes in finding lost pets. And uh, when the Miami Dolphins live dolphin mascot is kidnapped ace is called in to find the mammal and investigate who wants to disrupt the super bowl and miami's chances to win it all that's the basic plot that's it that's it Nailed all right it. brent brent bring us back to february 1994 the great year of 94 yeah sure what's thing. a couple of things happening uh, let's see. Number one song at the time is uh, All for Love by Brian Adams and Rod Stewart and Sting. Uh, Green Day just released uh, the album Dookie, which uh, kind of launched them into the stratosphere of pop music. Uh, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl over the Bills, 30 to 13. Top shows on TV at the time are Step by Step, Melrose Place, and Married with Children. Ooh. And the top kids shows, I say kids with quotation marks because I disagree with some of these uh are are you afraid of the dark goof troop and x-men the animated series a lot of good shit happened a lot of adult fare there huh? yeah <laughs> hey x-men the animated series is rad dude and are you afraid it's of the, the dark best. is a killer show for much more than just children and don't sleep on the hardcore goof troop i'm just saying well, <laughs> it's goof grotesque troop, <laughs> goof troop was my brother's he was brother. a single dad it was a, it was a fucking hard time <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they touched on a lot of really tough topics on goof troop yeah 1994 who was president of mexico do we know president of mexico <laughs> you're gonna have to do your own research on that one buddy all right fair enough moving on uh all right so ace ventura when was the uh joe we'll start with you when was the first time you saw it did you catch it in the theater or was it a home video 
I it must have been on TV. I I was a big in Living Color fan as a kid, but I don't think I saw any of the Jim Carrey movies in theaters in '94. Even though that was wow. basically every week they were just cranking out Jim Carrey <laughs> content. But yeah. no, I I saw it. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it like on HBO when it first like the first time. And I think like everyone else, I've seen it dozens of times. Like it's just it was always on. So. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I didn't venture out to theaters. It came out in like the spring or something, right? It was, it was February. Yeah. Early yeah. February. Yeah. So in my pre like driving days, there was, there was, you know, getting to the theater had to be a, a pretty particular occasion and Ace Ventura was not it. <laughs> so <laughs> no. Uh, Brent, what about you? Catch it in the theater or video? You know, I don't really remember. I know I saw it a bunch and I'm having a hard time pinpointing if it was in the theater or if it was on video. I definitely saw mask and dumb and dumber at the theater, which came out that same year. And the reason I saw those at the theater is because I loved Ace Ventura, but that seems like such a short amount of time between when Ace Ventura came out and those two movies I I feel like I may have seen this at the theater, but it really is going to depend on when the, the DVD came out because it was also when I was working at Video Impact. I think the DVD came out like June of 94 and then, and then Mass came out July of 94, so that time might work out. But honestly, I don't recall where exactly I saw it the first time, but I watched it over and over and over again and thought it was freaking hilarious when I did watch it. And it totally plugged Jim Carrey into my number one favorite comedian uh for the time slot without a doubt yeah that that the entire year of 94 and really 95 was just huge for jim carrey which which we'll get into david how about you what's when's the first time you saw it uh saw it in the theater uh probably within 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 a week of opening weekend if not opening weekend this was huge draw for me 14 year old me eighth grader me uh probably saw those ads and the you know the commercials and the trailers uh plant and and i was a big in loving color fan and i was interested to see what the hell this was all going to be about and uh i was a i was cackling in the theater me and my brother went um maybe we we went with some friends too um but yeah this was definitely a must see for me and uh and i did also see the mask that uh, in theaters that year. Brent, you 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 misspoke. You saw you said you saw Ace Ventura and Matt and Matt. I saw Mask and Ace Ventura. Now Mask, of course, is that classic Eric Stoltz <laughs> movie from 1985, <laughs> which maybe you did also see that in the theater too. But let's just be, you know, there's the Mask and Mask anyway. Well, they uh, they are related, just like for, Batman and the Batman, right? Thanks yeah, for yeah, clearing, yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. I don't know that I would have uh, been able to sleep tonight if I had uh, not gotten through with that correction. The Mask is a direct remake. I mean, obviously, it, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's the same story. Yeah, I was, everyone I was knows just, it. I was just chomping at the chomping at the bit to uh, <laughs> to to just jump in about that. <laughs> I guess like it's oh. The, a mask I'm, joke. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you're here to correct my my mistakes. It's not the first time, but I appreciate that you pay that close attention. I you know words matter. Uh, <laughs> and, and like yes, they do. The, the all important D the. Despite being the right age for the mask, I've definitely seen the share mask movie way more times. <laughs> I don't right, even. Yeah. I can't even tell you why. Like I know I've seen that movie dozens of times. 
Can you even find that movie anymore? I, I remember seeing it a bunch, but like it's it seemed like it was always on it TV. Even around? It was my sister on was TV. like a yeah. My sister was like a big share fan after Moonstruck, so I feel like I just saw all of those share movies from the eighties a bunch. Well, of if times. you if you want share, it's got to be it's got to be Mask, it's obviously number one film. <laughs> yeah, that's vintage share right there. <laughs> number vintage one. share, yeah. yeah. John, did you were you racing to the theater? Did you have to beg and plead for a, a ride, or did you wait? I no, I definitely raced to the theater for sure. I was a huge In Living Color fan, super excited about this. I saw it opening night, and I remember I went with my group of friends, with my friend Greg and my friend Eamon, who are regular listeners to this show. Uh, we sat in the front row. So we got like the worst oh. seats because we were like the last one, you know, last ones there. So yeah. we were sitting in the front row and I, I don't think I had laughed this hard uh, up until this point in my life. Like I was on the floor multiple times, just laughing uncontrollably. It just, it hit every, like every funny bone that I've got that I was just like, especially that. That HDS segment in the opening, like right off the bat, just got me. And uh, yeah, and then I couldn't wait for it to come out on video. And I I, I remember it, it might have been June, but it was like six or eight months, sometimes longer between back then when things would come out on video after they had done their theatrical run. So it may have actually been a little later in that summer. But uh, I remember I bought it right away at Caldor, which is an East a defunct East Coast uh, shopping store, hmm. like a Kmart kind of thing. Um, hmm. Got that, watched it over and over and over. And a, a friend of mine and I went to his relative's house in upstate New York where they only, only half of the house had electricity. But I made sure that the Ace Ventura videotape was with us so we could <laughs> do something there that... <laughs> utilize the power but uh Excellent. yeah and then i then i only kind half of the house had electricity yeah it was very straight it was like certain rooms had it the bedroom we not just not blow past can we not just blow past this <laughs> let's slow down for a second here john only have what kind of decrepit ass old building are you going to it was it was like an old farm like it was like on a farm property and they had uh, just never they like there was the old house right and then they added on and the new add-on like got all the electric, all the electricity went there. It was the kitchen, the like living room, and all that. But they where the bedrooms were, talking about? no power. <laughs> Half the rooms only had locks on the outside of the doors. I don't. <laughs> no one knew why. I don't get it. <laughs> oh Thanks God! For clarifying. Yeah, that, that was, sounds terrifying. That was a fun trip for sure. <laughs> Said with all sarcasm. Um, At least you had yeah, Ace to keep you safe. I did. We had to do something. So what, what else are you going to do without power? Slaughtering our own chickens uh, before dinner. That was tough. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I uh, we'll get into the Jim Carrey fatigue that kind of sets in at a certain point during this massive, uh, intense run of his. But uh, I kind of fell out of love with this movie and I didn't watch it for like, I don't know, like 20 years. And um I watched it again, I think last year, or the year before, and I fell back in love with it. I think there's there's so many great things in it. And it's so 90s and dated a little bit, but it's uh, it's still great. Yeah, I yeah, I had a mixed relationship with it, too. I, I, I just hadn't seen it in a long time. And then I think, I don't know, at some point, 10, 10 years ago, I watched it and I was like, 
this isn't even funny anymore, is it? And then watching it again, I think I watched it last year, or not, not even or within the last year. And then uh, I was kind of digging a lot of it, but I, but it's funny, and we could talk about it. But I mean, it's after this movie, like almost all of his catchphrases were, I would just repeat them ad nauseum for like oh, the yeah. next three years. Like that's it. Like that. And so watching this movie, I'm like. Oh, this is like, it's it almost feels like a parody of of a Jim Carrey movie. Like this, it's like oh, like it, it's almost cringy. Like, like what's he doing? Like this doesn't even make sense. But it, I, <laughs> this was, but no one had ever seen like this anything like this back then. Like this was mm-hmm. a crazy character. He's such a cartoon. Uh, and then so it's it's really strange to like. Okay, I adopted a lot of his mannerisms and his speech patterns and his catchphrases. I wasn't like imitating him all the time, but it was always a reference. It's always referencing that movie, like it, just with all that stuff. So it was funny that now I've completely gone beyond all of that. And uh, and then to watch it again, it's just this really weird mixture of like kind of cringing at it, but like still enjoying it. And if, but it's also like a warm, comfortable blanket. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, that's that's how I found it, too. Just like I, I don't care that I've, I've heard this eight zillion times, but I I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I I could I got to say like I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. I just seemed like it was always on, but like kind of to Dave's point, like it's almost not it doesn't feel like a movie. It almost feels like he's just doing like impressions and like none of it holds together and like there's a plot, but the plot kind of doesn't matter and like, you know. And so I think for the longest time I just kind of wrote this movie off. I wasn't a huge dumb and dumber fan, you know. And and a lot of those movies in that stretch, I like The Mask, but The Mask was all effects. And it wasn't really until the later 90s stuff that I really liked Jim Carrey stuff. But I got to be honest, like, I haven't watched this movie in, I don't even know, like, sat and watched the whole movie in a long time. And the other night, we so we watched it the other night for this. And, like, I was, like, going in, like, there's no way this movie holds up. But, like, Sarah, like, was crying laughing for the first hour of the movie. Like, crying. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on? Like, <laughs> I think of, like, I didn't know she liked this movie this much. But just, she couldn't control herself. And I was like, holy shit, I think this movie does really hold up. <laughs> like, maybe I was wrong. Like, It's one of those movies that, like, if you put it away, you put it in the closet for a very long time. And then you take it out. Like, it's it's almost going to feel new again. Even though you know you know the jokes, you know the catchphrases, you know what's coming. Uh, it's just it's I don't know. It, it, I found it the same way, like really, really funny when I rewatched it. Yeah. So let's let's dig in on Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey up to this point, I mean, he'd been around a lot longer than I think people realized. He, he really came up in the very early part of the 1980s, doing his stand up and coming from you know through through Canada. And he was on the Tonight Show and got one of those honored spots on the Tonight Show, and uh, it was popped up in very random movies. Like I, I love are easy. Once bitten is one of my yeah. like. I mean, prior to Jim Carrey becoming you know the Jim Carrey that everybody knows, dude. I I used to watch Once Bitten all the time, and then yeah. and then he got hugely famous, and I was like, oh wait, that's the dude from <laughs> Once Bitten. Cool. <laughs> It's so weird to one. see him in that too, like really pre what we know of as Jim Carrey. Yeah. And then you see some up- of it in like Peggy Sue got married though. Like there's a scene in the cafeteria where he's like messing around and he like throws his arm back behind his head. Like he's starting to like see a little bit of this like physical comedy and like man of a thousand faces type shit that he likes to to do his rubber man shit, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, 
it obviously didn't fully come to to fruition until in living color right yeah absolutely i mean he even shows up in some some clint eastwood movies like he's oh, in yeah. the, the he's in the deadpool the last yeah. uh, dirty harry movie yeah. i saw that at the theater he's also oh. in cadillac man which is also yeah. I was yeah. gonna say, wasn't he in Pink Cadillac? Is Pink that Cadillac, familiar? Yeah. Pink yeah. Cadillac. That's Pink Cadillac. Sorry. He's yeah. like a. He's, he's also yeah. being a stand-up or something, like in, for like a, a thirty seconds. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, Pink who doesn't like Pink Cadillac? <laughs> it's. I think it's come up on the show in the early seasons. Uh, really? Somehow, I, kept, I kept. I kept. I keep sneaking in little references to. Oh my god! I haven't how seen much it I, as a kid? I, oh, I haven't great. seen. I remember as a kid really liking it, but I haven't seen it in thirty years. If you guys oh, ever do Pink Cadillac, I don't think I've ever seen it. Never Bernadette seen it. Peters is in Pink Cadillac, right? And uh, uh, Linton Bernadette. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm putting it on the list. David's got the Pink Cadillac standee in his office, right in the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just Clint with his. Arms He's a crossed. mural in his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Autographed by Bernadette. <laughs> What's she doing in his bedroom? Munchak. <laughs> David will uh-huh. never tell. Nice. I told her I uh, was dying. <laughs> that was my make a wish was Bernadette Peters. I told her I was a ten year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> she came and sang me a song. She sang all of Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, we had, we had a nice was time. A fake, fake make a wish kid. Yeah. yeah, he put like measles on his face. It was great. Yeah. Just like just like Ace does when he's uh, that's right cracking down the dolphins. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay, and then finally, you know, he ends up getting cast on In Living Color led by Keenan Ivory Waynes, and that was really what put him on the map and made him a real memorable uh, name. What was what was the character, like Ranger Bob or Fireman Fire, Fred? I Fire Marshal Bill. Fire Marshal Bill, yeah, dude, yeah. That guy was hilarious. Yeah. One of my favorite skit scenes ever, though, with him in it is the one where he plays Vanilla Ice and he's doing the spoof on Ice Ice Baby. It is... <laughs> that's right. I think that's the one that really I was like, dude, this guy is fucking got me on the floor yeah and living color was such an amazing show that came out in the i think the spring of 1990 or the you know or early in 1990 and was just it blew me away i was one of the biggest in living color fans when it first started and uh it, it felt like like it was saturday night live but much edgier much more current uh much for, it felt like it was really for a younger audience than snl yeah, at it was that the time. Fox, the Fox version of SNL, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so yeah, no, like yeah, so he he was like the token white guy of that cast, uh, Jim, uh, and I don't know if that's why he was there. I mean, he's obviously extremely talented, but he, you know, it was a predominantly a black cast, and uh, and he was there, um, and all oh, there's so many memorable characters from that show, and uh, and he and he had a couple of his own, so. It, it, it was so so that's where I, yeah i never saw once bidden or any of those other uh, any of that early stuff of his so that's my first exposure to him was through that watching four seasons five seasons of that or whatever and then jumping into ace ventura so that's that's all i know and then it was like oh he was in earth girls are easy or whatever he was in. no he wasn't mm-hmm. in that uh or was he yeah and so yeah yeah, yeah. so, yeah. so yeah. then going back and just seeing clips it's him and damon waynes him and damon waynes oh, are yeah. like jeff goldblum's like yeah. alien Buddies. buddies so yeah, that's yeah. probably where the connection was made yeah that could be that could, that could be that could have been his in to the to the the waynes is uh interesting i didn't realize that huh but 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 that's really where like the wide audience gets to see what what he does and especially at that time it was the impressions it was brent like you said the rubber man 
you know, kind of comedy. He could do all these weird things with his body and his his face. You know, he could contort himself into really crazy positions and and I really hadn't seen anything quite like that at the time. Uh, so and and in Living Color was a massive show for at least the first three, maybe four seasons. Um, and he was he was so popular. I mean, there's so, quite a number of things that were very popular out of that show, but he really was one of the biggest ones. And it was it felt like pretty quickly, like, all right, he's he's going to launch off of this. But but it took him a bit to find the right project to make that leap from TV to film. It's always that's especially then was a big and difficult jump when you were labeled as a TV star. That's kind of where you stayed. Uh, you know, Ted Danson uh, broke that mold with three men and a baby and Tom Selleck. So, which you, you can, uh, you can listen to in the archives, <laughs> reconsinimation.com. I just always have to where we were going there. <laughs> our three men and a baby episode. I have, I have to work it in as often as possible. <laughs> it's legally binding. I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's our contract with Gutenberg. Really? That's part of a <laughs> oh, stipulation. Yeah. Well, he is the leader of the cocoonies. So that's true. There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no getting around it. We're all getting our... Gutenberg tattoos. Next time I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah. Live. And it's got to be, yeah, it's all tattoos of Gutenberg's face. We get to pick which movie it's from. Right. Yeah. I'm going Zeus and Roxanne, personal. <laughs> That's absurd. Anyway. All right. So, uh, yeah, around the same time, we've got Tom Shadiak, who is, was a joke writer for Bob Hope. And, you know, came up kind of the, obviously the latter part of Bob Hope's uh, career. But that's where he got his start and was... I think he had done uh, one like low budget film before this, but was uh, was kind of a known figure in the comedy world. So uh, he jumps in and, and kind of lends a hand on this script. So he brings it to James G. Robinson at Morgan Creek, who's looking to make a modernized sort of version of Fletch, a detective story, a comedy um, there. I don't think they were looking specifically to make like another Fletch movie, but they were looking for a vehicle, you know, maybe another vehicle for Chevy Chase. Uh, definitely Rick Moranis was somebody they were circling for this this project. And it was a much, much different kind of comedy. Kind of didn't look anything like what we saw Ace Ventura as. And when when he caught James G. Robinson caught Jim Carrey on, on In Living Color, like everybody else did and was blown away by him and, and really kind of pinned him for this movie. So once Shadyac comes in and Jim Carrey comes in, they really start overhauling the script and morph it to Carrey's strengths and his talents and what he's bringing to the table. So I don't know what other, like picturing Rick Moranis in this movie is kind of bizarre. That's a pretty different movie. It is. Yeah. But at this point, since we don't get Rick Moranis anymore, I would take any extra Rick Moranis we could have had. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, like <laughs> yeah. in retrospect, it would just be awesome to have more Rick Moranis movies out yep. there to to look at. But I don't want to take away from Jim Carrey and obviously the career that this uh, was a springboard for. But man, I do miss myself some Moranis. True Lies with Rick Moranis would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Uh, <laughs> throw Moranis in as uh, in Schwarzenegger's part. Incredible. <laughs> 
you know, with the wonders of AI these days, you could probably like we could probably make that happen. Just I think this is why there was a strike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we can't it's all be about Moranis. For this, this he, exact he, reason: get Moranis and more projects. He showed up in that commercial recently, and I was like, "Yes, all right, he's coming back," right. and then he disappeared again. Yeah, it's my understanding with the with the SAG strike that there's a bunch of AI protections except. Rick Moranis, we could they could do do everything you, you want. Rick it's the Moranis clause. It's the it Moranis. Was, clause. It was the, he was pre AI. He's in the public domain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's page one hundred and seventeen of the agreement. So, <laughs> yeah, we might need to do a Moranis month now that now that we're on it. I, I think this oh, needs to happen. I, th- I think we just opened a, a portal into uh, Moranis world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm game. Um, what are we but they also, you know, some other names that were floating around for this were were Judd Nelson mm-hmm. and Alan Rickman. What? I You're, yeah. I want to see that Terry. <laughs> I mean, Rickman's got chops. Judd Nelson seems like a strange. He was just popular at the time, right? Like, well, he was sort of falling out of popularity at the time. Like, this is you know, after he's one of those guys that once once it clocked 1990, they kind of almost like they were around, but just people weren't taking to them. They were doing some really weird movies. The Rat Pack. I don't know what this favor. would have been. Yeah. <laughs> was he like Shaggy X's nephew? Brat, what the is Rat Pack, whatever. How did he get in there? Well, Judd <laughs> could do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe. Jeez. We'll put him on the list, I guess. And then another one was Whoopi Goldberg. When did Sister Act? I could see that jumping Jack Flash would be Goldberg. Sister Act would have been. Oh, this was after. Well, I mean, I don't know what point her name was floating around, but Sister Act that was either ninety one or ninety two. But I mean, like she was insanely popular coming off of Sister Act and Sister Act two. So like, yeah, she was. I still had a lot of. I'm sure in ninety three, ninety two, ninety three, when they were talking about casting, like she was a pretty heavy box office draw at the time. Definitely, yeah. She had already. I didn't. She win the Oscar for Ghost. Ninety, so yeah, that had already happened. So she was, she yeah. was a huge name at this point. Probably, I would say, probably the peak of her career. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, yeah, it, it would have it would have actually been really interesting to see Whoopi Goldberg as you know, some version of Ace Ventura. What that what that movie would have been? Because yeah. that that Ted Danson movie was a big hit too. That was right before that, right? Um, it was right around the same time. Right yeah. around the same time, right? Made in America. Yeah. 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 Mm. That was when they were they were a couple, weren't they? Weren't they dating? Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, one of Hollywood's strangest uh, couples, right there. Teddy dancing. <laughs> that Teddy man, I just always kind of felt like he and uh, what's uh, Mary Steenburgen Mary were yeah. to. I just it just seems like they've been together forever. I forget yeah. that he dated other people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's like Danny DeVito and and. Um, uh oh shit what is his wife's name now i'm feeling uh, Rhea perlman Rhea perlman yeah who was just great in barbie by the way i, I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. saw that check it yes. out she's yeah. one of my favorite parts of that movie but they've been together forever like i kind of just they're they're kind of that ted danson and and uh, mary steenburgen are kind of the same way for me like i'm just like aren't they always together <laughs> not to not to be a downer but i think Rhea and danny have splits they have no yes yeah more yeah, recently a few years yeah. ago yeah yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's Hollywood for you. Yeah, you know. Hey, if they can't do it though, who? What hope then? What's the, What hope is there? 
If yeah. Rhea, if Rhea hang and Tandy can't hang in there. Hollywood's dream couple couldn't make it. So what? Uh, I'll be honest. I, I got, and I don't pay attention to the, the Hollywood relationships. I don't care. But when Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe broke up, I was like, they were, they were it. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do? I was really upset. And I don't even know why. I'm not even, I'm not a huge Ryan Philippe fan. And he's fine. You he's didn't great. get that way with Jen Aniston and Brad Pitt. I no, mean, that, I I that hated that. I I hated the I hated that they were so scrutinized in that way. But I was like, oh, if Reese and Ryan can't do it. Like this sucks. <laughs> it's the Sorry, only I've, like celebrity couple I had. A, a I've got that's, I've gotten is, us off topic. This is our other. This is our, <laughs> this is our spinoff show, Hollywood Couples, with yeah. <laughs> with David Munchak. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted I I wanted to tell you a story that was related to what we we're talking about. <laughs> Just so you can get to know me a little bit better. <laughs> I just believe like, in love so much. Feel like I just got a real good look under the hood. <laughs> anyway, back to Ace Ventura. So, <laughs> so Jim Carrey gets his hands on the script and makes obviously makes some changes. That's where the, the character really becomes that cartoon-like version that, that we see here. But also it was he made he kind of put his foot down about like ace is actually really good at his job he's not like a bumbling idiot he's a weirdo and totally bizarre but you know he actually is efficient at his job in one way or another like he he's good at it so i think that's like an important thing to kind of ground the movie back down that he's not stupid he actually is kind of does figure things out yeah it makes it unique right because i mean it feels like the other way, like the kind of uh, the bumbling idiot way who just sort of happens into solving the the crime or whatever because of their clumsiness or or whatever dumb luck seems a little overdone. And this is kind of a nice, interesting take where it's like, yeah, he is very good at what he does. Uh, he himself is just like bananas. Yeah, yeah. Well, compare him to Frank Drebin in the Naked Gun films. Mm, yeah, who, exactly. Also hilarious, amazing Leslie Nielsen, like his greatest role. Um, but he's an idiot and he just stumbles into solving the case. Whereas Ace actually does detective work and solves it, you know, on his own. I would say his greatest role is from Creepshow, but that's fine <laughs> if you want to go with Naked Gun. Or Poseidon Adventure, which he did that segment with Ted Danson. Sorry, just a little. Oh, just comes back, back to Ted Ooh. Danson again. Wow, Ted yeah. yep, keeps showing up. Yeah, and through Ted, Gutenberg, and then we're yeah. back to Gutenberg, and then you know what? Yeah. It's Police Academy time one more time. Cocoonies <laughs> unite. <laughs> Cocoonies never say die. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our podcast where we look at Cocoon one minute at a time. We're yeah, never going to be able to watch Cocoon and talk about it because that will be the last episode we ever do for the podcast. Yeah. We will wrap it up with Cocoon. It's the ultimate destination. Yeah. <laughs> the Cocoon. ultimate destination. Do not go in there. Woo! Let's talk about Jim Carrey's performance. So do you guys have a particular, like there's so many crazy segments in, in this film. The through line is, trying to track down Snowflake, who's the missing mascot for the Miami Dolphins. So you've got that grounding the story here, but it really is just a way to get <clears throat> Jim Carrey from one segment to the next of these crazy situations that he can just go wild on. Do you guys have 
a favorite or what are some of your top, you know, moments from the film? So many. I mean, I, I my favorite for sure is the psych ward. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that is just fucking hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. And every time I watch it, no matter how many times I've seen it, even when I had watched it a million times, uh, it's hyperbolic. But uh, so many times when it first came out, I uh, that had me rolling every single time. Yeah. Just him acting crazy when he does the reverse, like when he's doing the rewind. Oh version, man, that's it really is good. so good, dude. That's, and like yeah. when he's walking and he just slams his face down on the bench, and it's like, yeah, man, there's like, so many. Yeah. I love, how does he not? I, how does he not break every bone in his face doing rubber that? face, dude? Rubber yeah. face. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. that rewind joke, like I don't, rem- I I feel like that was the first time I saw that. I don't think that was. Many people have done it since, but I, I don't remember seeing a comedian do that so well up yeah. to that yeah. point. I, I couldn't tell you, but it gets me every every time. I also, I'm going to steal, I'm going to, uh, you guys don't get a chance, but I also <laughs> liked the, I love the scene on the, like the balcony of the, you know, when he's confronting mm. the police officers and, and Einhorn and, and, He's like slamming the door and like, I love oh. that scene as well. When he's like one upping the, the police force, showing them how smart he is and how dumb they are. Yeah. I think that's pretty great. Yeah. He he uh, walks in that room and immediately hears, you know, when, when he's over, he, you, you see him like eavesdropping on, on the other police talking about the crime scene. Right. And he puts it together within like 30 seconds that, yeah. that there's a flaw in what they're, you know the way they're going with it and he and he goes out to the ledge and yeah shows that you can't hear someone was saying they heard a scuffle but right. if the door was closed you couldn't hear the scuffle out there so and he's sliding open sliding the door open and closed and doing like an opera song mm-hmm. show you can't hear when it's closed oh there is just one more thing lieutenant this woman is Roger Padactor's neighbor. She lives across the hall. She said she heard a scream. Is that right, ma'am? Right. And you said you had to open the balcony door when you keyed into the room? That's true. You're certain you had to open this door? Yeah, I'm certain. What's the point, Ventura? Only this. Soundproof glass. There's no way that neighbor could have heard Pedactor scream on the way down with that door shut. The scream she heard came from inside this apartment before he was thrown over the balcony, and the murderer closed the door before he left. Yes! Yes! Oh, yeah! Can you feel that, buddy? Huh? 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 Uh, I love both of those. Hey, uh, the. Uh... When he goes to the party by the the billionaire party, uh, and that's and a big gets one, to, yeah. and gets to the shark. Yeah. Like I like that. I like that whole sequence. It is so obnoxious. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, and then like all the escalation in that, like um, when he's trying to track down the 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 ring, and then there's just like all these segments with like Don Shula and a bunch of like and the athletes, montage, yeah, and the montage, yeah. and then the escalation of like trying to get the runner, <laughs> like yeah, and it just I I just ca- I was cackling on 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 that one particularly. So but uh, but I mean I was laughing throughout. I was enjoy- like and a lot of it was quiet laughter. I wasn't like 
rolling on the floor like a, like I used to, of course, because uh, I've seen it so many times. Um, but those were the two. I think the shark stuff and like the that montage. I was, I was more, I was more boisterous in my laughter. Uh, overall, I think what I I just never really thought about before, or as I was watching it this last time, what really struck me was the beginning of that part with the shark because when he goes through the window right from that point until everything he does at that point is only for the film audience there's no one else there that's just how he is right yeah and like for some reason that's such a weird thing to include in a performance right because like you figure any comedy movie if somebody's acting crazy they're usually doing it for whoever they're with like there is an audience inside the scene but he's just doing that. So like you're yeah. like, this guy's insane. Like, if you really want to look at it as yeah. as the, the piece of theater, this is what he he's doing this for himself. So this is just how he entertains himself. <laughs> he jumps over the railing and then scoots over and then just jumps back yeah. and it means nothing. But you're like, like this is what he's, you know? And I think that that just is so so peculiar. And I can't think of another like immediate, like, oh yeah, like that's just a way to handle things. And like in a movie that it's just so it's such an odd choice and it's the kind of thing that you'd be like we should cut this out like this doesn't need to be here this doesn't do anything but because it doesn't inform the character to the other characters it doesn't mean anything inside the story but it's just such a wonderfully strange little bit that like just gives you this like peculiar insight into the character that you've already gone down the road with a bit but i just think that it's so odd and it's so so kind of wonderfully strange in that little moment what this is saying about you know who he is uh that i like i just never thought of it before and then i was like what he's not this is just him this is just his thing yeah like right. well and that that was a thing with morgan creek that they wanted to see who the real ace ventura is they wanted that to be worked in the plot like all right when does he drop the the character and show like all right this is really ace in private which we only never. see a glimpse of like one time in the movie where he drops it yeah but yeah you're right you're 100 right like and i love that scene too the mission you know he goes in the bathroom no one is around he is doing this by himself yeah the tiptoeing through and the like that's the whole mission impossibleness right. of it of that he's doing completely unnecessary <laughs> but he's doing it anyway yeah it's it's crazy and it's brilliant and um you know, it's always important when you're watching a film to to really get to know that character and to see that this guy, this is what he does when he's by himself. Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just that like I had never thought of it before. And then like you start to see like you think of the rest of the movie, you think of like the weird asides right to the camera sort of that not he's not looking at the camera, but like all of a sudden he's like doing a Sean Connery impression for a line yeah. and there's nothing. It's mm-hmm. just him. And you're just like this is this is just this mind like this is the way this is is working it almost feels like this is like you know i know like if he's involved in the script and in the story but it's also just like throwing anything out there that you can that it almost feels like his old stand-up act which Mm -hmm. was so crazy and i think that was the first thing i really remember of his was the idea that like the impressions he could do but like that he would do physical impressions which was so strange with no props and no anything and that like a piece of that gets into this movie and never really shows up again. Like he really got away from doing impressions mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere after, yeah. after a point. So yeah, he, there, this is his wildest physical comedy movie. The rest yeah. from here forward, he d- does a, like dumb and dumber. He does a lot of physical comedy, but not to the, ex- the extreme yeah. extent of this. And there's a lot more of like 
him just being a character. Um, but there is a lot of his stand-up that that gets peppered in here. Like All Righty Then was really from his stand-up. That was something he'd say after he'd like greet the audience and then not give him a chance to respond and just say All Righty Then and keep going. But um, a couple of moments from that that party segment that I really really love was when they first walk in and he's walking Courtney Cox, who we'll talk about as well. When they're walking in and they, he walks by the the cello player and just pulls his arm. That was that was an improv. He just did that spur of the moment. And it's genius. Like, why does Ace do some of the things he does? There's no explanation. He's just this will be funny. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. He just wants the world to burn sometimes. He's yeah. like, nah, let's just fuck this up. And uh when he goes in the shark tank, that shot of his face, like when he reacts to see the shark actually jumping out of oh, the yeah. water, <laughs> yeah. what he does with his lips, like how does a human do that? That's a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. That's all I could think about. He's just a little walking cartoon. And I yeah. I didn't I didn't think of it back then, like at all. Like I was just like, well, it's just funny, you know, like not even taking a moment to think about like what the hell is this character? It's just yeah. it's just joke after joke and it's silly. Uh, and it's like, that's all I want. Just make me, just make me laugh. You clown. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I don't care how and, you do it. The, the extra David going to what you were talking about, the, the extremes in that montage that Ace goes to, to track down the dolphins. So, so he knows he finds when he first gets brought on the case, he finds the, the, the jewel, right. The dime, the diamond or whatever in the, in the dolphin tank or in the yeah. near the dolphin tank. So he knows he eventually puts it together that that is from a Miami Dolphins Super Bowl ring. So he's trying to track down all the Super Bowl players who would might have had that and see if they've still got all the jewels in their rings. And you know, getting like people to punch him in the face so he could count the the impression in his skull, like in the mirror of of uh, how many jewels were in that guy's ring. Like, it, yeah, but all the the extremes he goes to to track down all those players and the the Don Shula one, the hiding in the mailbox. Like, oh. how would he get in that mailbox? <laughs> yeah. And it's like oh, well, the so way good. he's lit, and he just the way he's like, like he. He's, you know, he's got a he's got a loop so we can examine the the, the jewel and, and his eye and his mouth is just like crooked and and, and he just it, the shaking and like it's just oh, that physical comedy just comes out and it's just how is it so funny and it's just these like just these very purposeful choices but you just you don't even think about like the work he's doing I mean it's so because it comes so easy to him he's not even thinking he's just being this rubber-faced guy yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh I, that the the all of his i was clocking just so many of his expressions it's just so in, impressive because he he does he looks like a different person like altogether at, at certain points it's and like if for anyone who has any listeners who hasn't checked out like his old stand-up and stuff like go find some clips like, yeah like those physical impressions you mentioned joe like when he turns he turns himself into clint eastwood and the audience loses it like and it's just how does he? He just narrows his eyes and he tightens his jaw and he's Clint. And you can, and it, it's as good as any uh, verbal impression you could do. Yeah, like it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I love his Shatner also that he does. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 This was back then when like the Shatner impressions were really like Kevin Pollock did his and and they're really <laughs> getting out there quite a bit. Like that. This was a a good one. Yeah. I've got to, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so silly. Love that. And his body language that goes with it that really isn't Shatner, but it's it's like yeah. Ace. It's like Ace's <laughs> version of Shatner. Yeah. Uh, but I also love the, the HDS segment in the opening of the film, which is a great way to introduce the character and see him in his, you know, really in his world. Like this is what he does, and and he does he saw so he solves that crime and he you know gets the little dog back. But that opening of he's just walking down the street for no reason, destroying this package. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it was just so funny to watch, and you don't even know why you're what like you know what's the context <laughs> for no reason, just slamming it, doing flips over it, like using it. The elevator doors are slamming on this package. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the context is for anybody who's received a package from from a delivery <laughs> service and has been yeah. broken. Yeah. This is what goes through your mind, and he yeah. put it on film. And you're like, yeah, that seems right. <laughs> and it's very much ace to just not care about anybody else. You know, yeah. he's like just laser the, focused. Just and... the pets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the cart. I think the cartwheel moment uh, with the package was that, that I remember. I remember in the theaters dying at that. Like, it, it, dude, the box it, buckles, too. I was like, man, he was yeah. close to just straight on his face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he definitely could have got hurt. So funny. And it's all just letting, you know, it's Shadyac and 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 uh, Jim Carrey together, who this is the first of, I think, three movies that they did together. So a really good pairing between the two of them of finding the jokes, but also giving him plenty of room to improv. And just, you know, that's why a lot of these shots are kind of wider than you might normally do, because you need to give him some space because you literally don't know what Jim Carrey is going to do. He could roll into a flip he could do you know anything so you need to give him that physical space uh so it was it was just i don't know it's just really really incredible it, it, i mean i think it just blew everybody away like he most people knew him or knew of him from in living color and what his talents were but this was like really making the most of an opportunity and who is he a friend um no this is this is my date <laughs> He's a lawyer. But does he have a name, or should I call him lawyer? Who? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is Ace. Um, Tom Ace. Tom Ace. Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Camp. And congratulations on all your success. You smell terrific. I was just telling Melissa, one of the first lessons we learned back at Stanford Law was the modern proliferation of food poisoning claims against wealthy private homeowners. In fact, if one were so inclined, one could make quite a lucrative law practice with little else. <laughs> How is everybody feeling tonight? Let's talk about another person in this movie, Courtney Cox. Pre friends. Yeah. Pre friends. Just barely. This, just, exactly. Post Masters of the Universe. Ah. <laughs> Post uh, it, Dancing in the Dark video, too. That's right. Is it is it pre cocoon though? I don't think so. <laughs> Was she in cocoon? Yeah, who, been. who knows? She's I in know. cocoon. She's in cocoon. Who can say? She's in cocoon. The return. Oh, come she on, is? folks! If you wow. want to be a cocoon, you need to get your shit. We, we spend so much time on cocoon that we completely forget about cocoon. The return. Oh my god, I've never yeah, seen is, cocoon. The return for sure. It is. It is a lesser sequel, but. <laughs> It is in the cocoon world. So cocoon universe. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the CCU. Yeah. Yes. Cocoon cinematic universe. And I'm just saying everything goes back to cocoon. She is in the sequel. Yeah. Oh. It is it is before this movie. 
I I was I did remember her from she played Alex's uh, girlfriend on Family Ties. Uh, that's where I knew season. her from. Yeah, that's yeah, and so. And and she, I remember as a kid, like just really liking her. Like, I don't know what it was. It was it's just everything about her, the way she carried herself, and her her hair and her her style and everything. I just like early, very like definitely. I remember like a little little crush uh, on her back then. Uh, she had a great eighties look. She yeah. was a very yeah yeah the hair and just the, yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, and and she's really trying to like. Her character, you know, works for the Dolf- Miami Dolphins organization, and she's kind of paired with with Ace while he's on on the uh, investigating the the, do- the missing dolphin and trying to keep him grounded and focused and on task. And uh, but of course, becomes the romantic interest, and and that's a, kind of a wild scene too. And that's like where you kind of see him drop it, like right before they get together, where he does drop the. He becomes like a actual person for a second, um, but I was I was listening to the commentary by by Tom Shadyac, and he was talking about what the scene where they're the love scene between the two of them, where they're just going wild, was like the worst scene that they shot because it was all, all the pets are all of Ace's pets are there's like a hundred are watching them have sex and just like they're trying to focus and all they hear on the set is the animal wranglers all yelling at all the pets to like look left <laughs> look right like you know uh, right right <laughs> yeah the, i was impressed with all the practical animals like like when he enters his apartment and they all come out and stuff and i'm like you'd never do that today you'd never do that you'd you'd cgi half of that oh, yeah. stuff in and yeah you know you just have a dog and a cat you could you could easily manage but like so many different species and animals in that like i was just impressed with that to be honest as a like for a filmmaking kind of thing i'm like you just hollywood wouldn't bother doing that another moment there that where ace is by himself is when we first see him go into his apartment and yep there he is alone again and just calls out all the animals and they come from (laughs) all over the place and that wide shot where they're all on him yeah (laughs) just like again this is something he's doing by himself (laughs) alone oh it's so good kind of uh, amazing that they got the miami dolphins like organization on board for this movie that oh they yeah i do feel like a sports back team. then it was easier to get the nfl to do stuff where now it's like the a whole wall but back then it seemed like they would just pop you have nfl teams popping up in random movies all the time yeah like, yeah yeah well it's all you know now it's so liability focused and and there, there's always a worry well, a about you know their their brand right yeah the brand and it's not yeah. like dan marino needed more attention i mean you know he was he, he was huge right at, in, isotopes this time. sure yeah. like um but to to have the organization there and like you know then there's the the fake the character who who works for the organization who dies right like oh yeah, yeah. like like they by kill. troy evans yeah troy evans. troy evans roger pedactor pedactor yeah. Yeah. yeah so he kills <laughs> So they kill a Miami Dolphin. They they kidnap the Dolphin. They kidnap Marino. They kill a a, a staff member. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, the Dolphins are having a tough time. <laughs> yeah, and they're, rough, and they're like, rough yeah. off season for the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, and 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 meanwhile, they got to worry about the Eagles and the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to. This is. I'm not going to go too far into things, but I did want to mention because. Uh, I wonder if this is maybe one of the reasons why the NFL doesn't do this anymore. Is it possible Ace Ventura cursed the Miami Dolphins franchise? <laughs> because they put them in this fictional Super Bowl 
they've never been to the Super Bowl since then. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. The only Super Bowl they've been to, the last Super Bowl they were in was the 84 Super Bowl, which didn't end the way it is in the movie. So Ace Ventura Curse, maybe? The Ace Ventura oh, Curse. Maybe. Could, Could be. be. Yeah. Could be. Uh, we also get uh, Tone Loke in the film. Yeah. Looked Tone after Loke. Dark. Adventures of Fort <laughs> Fairlane fame. Yeah. Posse. Posse's Tone Loke. Yeah. Funky Cold Medina. Yeah. Loved it. Oh my god. He he like that popped song, up in such wow. like he's also in Heat. It's so random the movies that Tom yeah. pops up in and right. uh and he he plays Ace's detective friend who's like the only guy who kind of will befriend him on the on the police squad. And I don't think does he serve really much of a purpose? I can't remember. I don't think he really does much. No, he doesn't really do no. he, he gives Ace another person to bounce off of. He, he, he gives, you know he, he gives some pertinent information to Ace. But... Yeah. Uh, as that as, as that police ally, but other than that, he also gives Ace with. somebody for his ass to talk to. Exactly, like, right. another <laughs> another gimmick there. So that no, my that least actually, favorite of the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, that actually came from a real life thing that happened during *In Living Color*. That he was Jim Carrey was pitching, you know, character was always pitching ideas and characters to Keenan Ivory Waynes and. At one particular time, I don't know if Keenan was kind of annoyed with him or wasn't giving him enough attention, and he kept turning down all these bits. And then in a meeting, Jim Carrey just gets up, and he's so frustrated, he does that to Keenan Ivory Wings. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which is like when you're really doing it, it's, like, it's funny, but it's also hugely insulting. And, <laughs> and uh, That, could, that but, could backfire in a bad way. But it didn't. It Keenan broke and just like started laughing hysterically, and I think it, it broke the ice between the two. But uh, but yeah, he brought that bit in here, which he does again in the sequel, and I think that's about where it stopped. Yeah, I think I think he did it once at the Golden Globes. Oh, that's true. <laughs> he had that run of winning Golden Globes, and then he's like, "It's that guy who talked out of it," and he starts doing it. Yeah, that was a great a great Perfect. moment. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. It's so funny. Uh, and then we've got our heavy in the film, played by Sean Young. Hey. Yeah. Now, th this was kind of the beginning of a turn for her career that she had, you know, she had done, of course, Blade Runner and Stripes and, and you know, a number of other big movies throughout the 80s and early 90s. But this was, I, I felt like when, of course, she was up for Catwoman and, and uh, in Batman Returns and, and I think broke her arm, which kind of cost her the role. So uh, that was kind of a big moment that I think had she gotten that role, I think her career would have gone differently. But it was interesting to see her here. And of course, the character of <laughs> Finkel and Einhorn, Finkel slash Einhorn. All right. So that this is obviously in today's age, watching this whole subject is the part that ages the worst out of this whole movie, right? Because we get a lot of, quite a number uh, quite a bit of transphobia here yeah, yeah it's, it's a movie that unravels by the end yeah oh but, yeah. yeah yeah the whole end is like ooh, can't cannot do that you know couldn't yeah. do it shouldn't do it today yeah hard to watch uh the yeah the the distastefulness of like you have all and the fact that all of the men all of the cops who are men are spitting when they realize that she's a man uh, and it's it's like so it's also implying that she's just going around like making out and having sleeping or, yeah or, or sleeping, sleeping around with everybody with yeah. everybody uh at, at the on the force it's yeah it's just a it's an unfortunate thing that was 
is is like it's a core aspect of this character and then you know the way it's presented you know it just would never fly it's not funny um today uh i don't and i don't think and i think when i was 14 i didn't kind of get it but i was absolutely like very ignorant and you know uh, like ignorant to to all to all trans issues you know what what did we know when we were young young teens and well we just called them we we called them cross-dressers at the time right that was yeah what they were categorized as yeah so it was it's yeah it's strange to see that artifact of this film but uh but you know i think i i I would assume that almost everyone involved would have uh moved on from from that kind of uh, behavior and talk and well and and it's also it's also a spoof as well it's a spoof on the crying game which had just come out and was such a big you know part of that movie so and that's the thing i think watching it again i expected to be really like really turned off by it like i knew this was the plot and i knew this is how it ended and i remembered that but i expected to be more like outraged somehow but i think because it uses the crying game music and it it is so clearly that's what they're going for that like it's inappropriate it's still it's not right like it's it's not the right choice to make but it almost like fits better with the time than a lot of those kind of jokes in other things. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like because it piggybacks onto something, that's not to excuse it. I just think that mm-hmm. it works almost in spite of itself, mm-hmm. given the context of the time. I, you know, and I don't know that that's necessarily better or that that actually matters, but I think this would be a hard movie to introduce to people today for a variety of reasons. I just think the comedy is, it, it's that, that zany style of comedy, I, I think is just a little you know, and it's just a little tired and it gets a little egregious, but I think that that part, I think it, it, it's not as disqualifying as it should be. Yeah. I think there's, I think there is a sophistication to the, to it as that, as that spoof. I, I, I I guess a movie that's not sophisticated in almost any way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but you know what, there's no uses of the, the homophobe, any homophobic words or, um, you know, uh, the R word, you know, for mental uh, health and all that, like in those would be easy to plop in, especially because they, they go to a mental institution and mm-hmm. the way, the way he talk, the way some of his talking, talking and mannerisms are, you know, you could easily just float on those, those term that those terms. Um, but it, this movie completely avoids any of that. And, right. and it would have been not surprising to hear any of that in a 1994 comedy, like yeah. whatsoever. We were still right. getting it, you know, in, in 2010, you know, like yeah. in some places. So, And it's almost, I think the other thing with it is that it's not like, because it's the villain character and it's because of the pattern that Finkel's life goes, right? Where he gets institutionalized and then he breaks out and he has to go into a disguise. There's no real explanation for internally what's going on with him besides that he's insane, right? And he's insane and he's the villain. I don't feel like the movie necessarily punches down on on transvestites or cross-dressing necessarily because it's almost used as sort of a tool. It's almost like that Brian De Palma movie, which isn't a great movie either, but um, just to kill just to kill where it's just part of the plot in a way that it's, it's not, I mean, I realize everybody reacts big, but it's like, 
you know, it, it's sort of this throwaway gag, but somehow character wise, it, it like almost makes sense. It's not, it doesn't totally work, but it almost works. And yeah. I, I almost feel like that's sort of the kind of pass that it gets because there's no inner life to the character. And it's not like mm-hmm. they're vilifying the character because of that. They're vilifying the character because they're the villain, because they're, they're a psychotic. And, and I think yeah. that, that that's sort of. Well, it's not a commentary on like the trans community at all, right? Right. Like, right. It's, it's about, it's, it's about this, this person trying person. to come up with a plan to get their revenge. And they just happen to use, go full, full throttle on the disguise. Right. I mean, right. and so, you know, I don't, I mean, obviously the overreaction of all the, all the other officers and stuff like that. And the, and the reveal scene is, is one thing, but I think the stuff that's happening with Jim Carrey and the stuff that's like, obviously a spoof of, of crying game. Like, I don't, I mean, look, obviously I'm not the right demographic. I don't know if that's offensive or, or not, but you know, it's a, it's a spoof of something that was super popular and talked about at the time. I mean, the crying game was a really, really um, widely known film that came out right around that time. But, so, but don't reveal the ending, Brent. Don't reveal it. I'm, I'm not. I still haven't seen it. I don't. What happens? <laughs> so they're playing Monopoly and they all start crying. I don't understand yeah, what that. Yeah, that's uh, that's the uh, game. that's how Monopoly yeah, that's usually ends. If you're yeah. playing with flipping it over people in my family. Tears. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I think to your point, Joe, I think, you know, like what you're saying is, is I, like, I agree with you. And I think, I think the reason that it's able to get away with it is because it's not like a commentary on the, the trans community at all. It is, it is very much just, you know, uh, an ends to, you know, a means to an end for this character to, to get their, get their revenge. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that weirdly the the kind of run I've I've had on this show is that I seem to keep coming into episodes where there is some big problematic thing to talk about. <laughs> and I do think that there's something to this. Like if it's like mm-hmm. jokes that are just there to kind of dehumanize a little bit or just like put somebody down a little bit. Like that it that's uncomfortable. That that now I think in the modern day feels inappropriate yeah. and wrong. And and I think it's just something that wasn't recognized in the time. I don't I don't get the same vibe out of this movie even though a lot of that sh- wouldn't be done today or shouldn't be done the way that it is anyway, but it's not exactly the same thing. And I, I just, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. it almost still works for me. Kind of. <laughs> but I mean, that's what, and I think that's specifically why I said, like they don't, they don't use sort of the dehumanizing language. I think that's, right. I think that that's exactly that there is a level of sophistication to the joke, which yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, listen, there were parts I was laughing at, like when he's he's trying, like I mean, when they were fighting and he's giving her a noogie in the middle of the fight, yeah. like what? That's <laughs> it's a fight for their lives, and he's giving her a noogie, but then he's like trying to take her hair off. He thinks it's a wig, and and he, you know, he he unbuttons, he takes her shirt off, and all of that, and it's, and then even when he pulls her pants down, and it is like he's not winning. Like this is yeah, so funny. So he's the, wrong. It, yeah, he it, it just it's just a wild. <laughs> there's a lot of comedy to it that I think you're right. There's it's not, I didn't quite have the alarm bells going off either um, with uh, along the lines of what you're saying, Joe, I just expected to like, somehow I just uh, assumed that's how I was going to react. Cause yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I feel like, you know, that's, you know, now this is watching older movies. You just have to be prepared for stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I, if, I was just surprised watching... internally. So, 
Yeah. If you're watching it with like your kids, like I watched this right after I think Sonic two came out and I, I went to see it with, with my younger son and, and he loved Jim Carrey in it. And, I, and oh. it was like, Oh, well we should watch Ace Ventura. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, we're going to need to have a conversation after that. But that's yeah. all it was. It was just like, you know, you can, it just requires a, a discussion about what, you know, if you're watching it with children, you know, what the content is, but there's also like beyond that, there's the sexual aggression by, Finkel slash Einhorn, who does a lot of unwanted touching in the film. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. grabs Dan Marino's crotch and forceful kissing on both Ace and, you know, and Dan. That like mm-hmm. that's that's a thing too. Yeah. That's but true. heavy villain behavior, you know? Heavy villain. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, that, totally you know, totally get what you're saying, guys. Yeah. Like I, I totally agree. When stuff like that, I think, informs the character. Like the Duke brothers' racism in Trading Places, it works for the character. And so it's outrageous, but it's supposed to be. And supposed to be somehow is better than we accidentally got racist in the middle of the movie, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, you're supposed to. Right, exactly. Like, they're using that to manipulate the audience to dislike those characters. That's what they want. So, right. Right. Joe, you're our, uh, you got the memo that you're the VP of our problematic production department, right? <laughs> Apparently, this is when I show up. <laughs> oh, God, what are we doing? Oh, my God, we're talking about Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> we can love it, but here's why we hate it, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, all that being said, I, I still really enjoyed watching it. And I've watched it a couple times since, and I I enjoyed it every time. It didn't kind of what happened the first time. uh, We'll talk about the Jim Carrey fatigue now, which set in pretty quickly for me. I don't feel that anymore. Like I, now I I could pop Ace in and there's so many funny bits that, you know, I I could just, uh, I could laugh at almost anything, but, but, um, you know, the reaction to this movie, we'll talk about the box office in a couple of minutes, but the reaction to Jim Carrey's explosion here is is huge. Everybody was doing Jim Carrey, at least where I grew up. Everyone was doing Jim Carrey. And there was this one particular kid in school who will re- remain nameless, who like became Jim Carrey. Everything he uh. said was like the, the catchphrases, the mannerisms, like, I get it, dude. You like Jim Carrey, but for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> so I think somewhere in 95, probably after Dumb and Dumber, I was totally had Carrey fatigue. And I thank God he turned to dramatic work because I was really over him. I did see Cable Guy and loved it. But like, I skipped Liar Liar. I skipped, you know, it was, it, was, it took a little more for me to go see a Jim Carrey movie. Um, and probably not until Truman show where he showed like, Oh, he can be uh, a dramatic actor, a really good dramatic actor as well. I'm trying to look through his stuff and it's like, I'm, tr- I, I feel like I also got Jim Carrey fatigue, but then I'm looking through his credits and I'm like, where is it that I actually got the fatigue? <laughs> I, I don't know that I really did. I didn't like Batman forever or, or Ace Ventura when nature calls. So it may have been, there but i like cable guy dude I, liar liar is one of my favorite movies that he's done and liar Liar's very good liar liar yeah it is yeah it's and, and it's good yeah yeah that's good yeah and his dramatic stuff i you know like i really i really i mean after liar liar is the truman show which is probably one of my favorite movies he's done so well that that's his whole career pivots 
after once he does Truman Show that, you know, he's getting nominated for Oscars and Man on the Moon was right behind that. And then Eternal Sunshine was, you know, years later. And he's shown that. Eternal. He can, mm. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's great. my favorite for sure. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. I mean, his yeah, style I, of comedy changes so much, too, that I think that that's that's kind of to Brett's point is that like the, you know, to get the fatigue of like watching Ace Ventura over and over again or Dumb and Dumber. But he doesn't really do much like that after a point. You know what I mean? No, like, it, yeah. I, I feel like he came back to it a little bit with me, myself, and Irene. And I didn't like that one that much. But I also feel like that was less about him and more about a Fairly Brothers fatigue yes. for me. It was just, was the, like, the story Ooh. was odd in that one. And it didn't work as well as, no. you know, something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber yeah. and... I still re I, I really like me, myself, and Irene. I really do. <laughs> I haven't, I, I, honestly, I haven't seen it in yeah. years. I mean, yeah. I remember seeing it at the theater and not really loving it. It's yeah, got it some devastatingly good jokes. It's, the whole movie probably doesn't totally work, but I, I, I do really enjoy that movie. Yeah. I do like the pee scene. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> we'll add it to the list for our, our uh, Carrie Fest 2024. Yeah, for the retrospective. Uh, it's after Moranis but, month. But okay. yeah, but uh, I mean, I think that for me, the fatigue came in in the form of like it was just so much Jim Carrey. It was like, you know, he was always present with a with in loving color. Then within two and a half years, he puts out Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura 2 and Cable Guy. So that's six movies within two and a half years. Yeah, it's crazy. So and those were all like insanely popular. Yeah, insanely popular movies, and on top of that, his presence—you know, the MTV Movie Awards, the whatever, all the interviews, the press—it yeah. was just he was constant. And every yeah. jackass in high school, myself included, <laughs> using every line from the movie, like yeah, dude, yeah. I so many there <laughs> shit going on in the middle of the friggin' hallway. It's like, all right, dude, I, that's enough. Uh, yeah, yeah he, I. Go ahead, David. Uh, well, and f yeah, for me, the fatigue, like, I, it's funny because I, I saw Ace, uh, you know, was watching In Living Color, saw The Mask in theaters. I skipped Dumb and Dumber, and I, I just now realized why I'd skipped it initially, but that's more uh, internal uh, problem, internal problems <laughs> in my brain. Uh, but I saw him in Batman Forever. I think I saw Ace Ventura 2 on a rental. And then I was just like, and then the cable guy was coming out. I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to see this. And I'm still quoting him. Like I'm still quoting the original ace, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't see him play another freaking lunatic because Batman forever as poorly done as some of the creative choices there are, he could have shined really bright as the Riddler. And then why do they make Tommy Lee Jones also absolutely as insane as the riddler like there, but that's every everything except batman in, in that movie <laughs> it's like yeah i know extreme. but it's almost like the riddler the riddler and two-face aren't even quite they're too close together as far yeah. like they're not different they're just two insane people on the same kind of area of their insanity like you know uh it's so i like so i and i liked jim carrey in it but it was like he didn't even get to be himself or he didn't get to stand out. He got to going to be mimicked by another character, mm -hmm. as and so yeah, the fatigue was starting to set in. So then, I skipped. I skipped Liar Liar too, but I or as well. But then I I had eventually had seen it, and then I got back on board with him as soon as he did Truman Show because like now we're seeing something yeah. different. So it's um, it's yeah, it it's crazy. I'm looking at it and from 
so I don't remember if I saw Ace Ventura at the theater, but from Ace from that point on, I saw every single one of his movies in the theater until Simon Birch, which I feel like mm. he had a smaller role in. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Anyway, and then yeah. everything again until I didn't see The Majestic at the theater, and that's like when it like for me, I stopped going to the theater to see Jim Carrey movies. But I oh, like but, The Majestic. But then <laughs> like, even after that, he's got Bruce Almighty, which was a massive movie. A I didn't see hit. that. I know that I didn't see that at the theater, though, because I was like, yeah, I saw that at the theater. Yeah. I think, it, but I think that was his last like mega blockbuster yeah. hit. Yeah, I did see um, Eternal Sunshine, today. though. Love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, I don't think that's the thing is that I don't think I really went to see a lot of Jim Carrey movies in that time. Like I hated Batman forever, like so much that like that was yeah. really ruined things for me for a bit. I saw the cable guy in theaters, but at the time, but I think that movie's so dark and it's so different that I couldn't really appreciate it. Um, but then when you get to liar, liar and Truman show, then I was, I was, you know, but I don't think I ever really had that like big relationship with Jim Carrey movies. It wasn't like, you know, oh, yeah. it's a Jim Carrey movie. I'm going to go see it. It was always a little bit more like, reviews and does it you know just how did it look it wasn't really just an automatic like you know i'm gonna go see a, a, a harrison ford movie or something it wasn't quite yeah. the same thing so right well the movie is you know comes at like the perfect time for all these guys because it launches obviously jim carrey uh but also courtney cox like i i did did this factor in to her getting cast on friends Quite probably, really. I mean, it's a, it's a major movie, and it shows how likable she is. I don't know exactly what she had been. I mean, she was always kind of around, but she really hadn't been a name at this point yet, other than, yeah, she was on Family Ties. We recognized her from a couple of things, but this was like a good part for her to at least become more present in everybody's minds as Friends is casting up. And the funny thing was, she actually never saw this movie for quite some time I, you know I, I don't know i mean maybe she went to the premiere and didn't watch the movie or something but uh jennifer aniston i assume when they when she was getting ready to do bruce almighty made courtney cox watch ace ventura she was just i think she was embarrassed of it for a while and <laughs> that's funny but wow. yeah, i'm sure tone loke shows this constantly at his house it's ace it's ace night come on over <laughs> Where does uh so where does this one rank and and all the the Jim Carrey movies in that you guys have seen is this still top five or top ten or where, where does it roughly fall in for you? Uh, it, if I, it if might I, not be in the top ten for me. Yeah, yeah I really? mean, if, not if in I the wanna... top ten. I don't think so. all every, all Jim Carrey movies. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't think this is in the top ten for me. I still I enjoy this movie. I I I was surprised I liked it as much as I did watching it the other day. But I mean. I would put Yes Man ahead of this movie, you know. Really? I, yeah, I, I kind of like Yes. I mean, there's like his later, you know. Again, I really like Me, Myself, and Irene, yeah. Bruce Almighty, Eternal Sunshine, Truman Show, Man on the Moon, yeah. Mask, the the mask. mask, the Mask. I mean, the Mask and Mask. I'm sure he has <laughs> both. He's great uh, in both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pink Cadillac, apparently. I, you know, so it's hard <laughs> to say, but uh, you know, Kick Ass Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd still need to see Kick Ass Two. Or it's, doing it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I really enjoyed this movie. I I wouldn't say like this has got to like top, is no. There's no way it's touching the top five for me. Um, yeah. I could see it like toward the 
the number 10 spot. There's just so much, there's so much better reasons to watch Jim Carrey in a movie other than this, you know, and especially, but it is a, because it's, it kicks things off for his career. And I mean, you can't deny that, like how it just, you know, really, like really shown the, the light on him, but, and it's an important for that and for, and for his career. But I don't know if I, yeah, if I want to kick, kick it with a, a, a Jim Carrey movie, it's going to be some of his later stuff. Like I just, um, I like, but I do like this, this sort of like artifact from 1994. I just, um, but it's not the first thing I'm popping in for sure. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I'm, I'm kind of on the same in the same spot. Like it's not in the top five for sure. I mean, I like stuff that he did even before this, you know, maybe even more, but I, I mean, I, I appreciate what it is and what it provided to, to Jim Carrey. Cause there are a lot of things that he's done that I, I do really, really enjoy. It's probably around the 10 spot, maybe just out of the 10 spot, but it's like in that, in that area. But yeah, yeah my, my top five are completely different than. And then that's so funny. I, I, I number disagree one? with you guys. Still number I, one. Number one. Not with number you? one. The King I would forever. say it's probably number, you know, four or five. Like I would put Truman Show, uh, Eternal Sunshine. I'd put Dumb and Dumber ahead of this one. And then, you know, I probably I'd put Ace in the four or five spot for me because, it, like, I still love the classic, classic Jim Carrey. You know, seeing some of the just, I think, genius. You know, improv little bits. You know, like the like like the thing with the cello guy just pulling the cello player's arm. Like that is there's lots of that throughout this movie, and and that's why this one still is up there for me with Jim Carrey stuff. I have I have a problem with the mask. I have a problem with. Uh, I have a problem with Batman Forever. You know, I, I've got a, a lot of issues with that movie too, Joe. So, yeah. so yeah. it's next on our Batman list. So it'll be coming Oof. up soon. Oh boy, I, I, you could miss me on that one. I don't. I don't you're, you're not going to like anything I got to say about you're still, best. I'm good. We keep having <laughs> you on. That will be a just kind of a straight teardown episode. But yeah, we keep having you on for, and you have a good positive vibe for most of these films. So why not bring you into the dark side? To of really. Setup? really shit on something i i like to be i like to be positive about you know i I feel i i had this idea i was if i was ever going to do a movie podcast i would do just everything is worth watching and just what's the best thing about any any terrible movie you could think of like there's at least a reason to watch it i would have a hard i would have a hard time with batman forever Forever. i have a feeling we're gonna we're all gonna watch batman forever and we're we're gonna all be able to say all the problems with it, but I think we're all gonna like it a little bit more than we expected. Maybe don't, I, I'm calling right. it calling it I, now. I don't all watch right. it much. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you'll, you'll never watch it again, but you're like that wasn't as bad as I thought. As I remember, well, it's I, not I can, Batman and Robin. It's not Batman and Robin. So yeah. I can I can say at least I'll enjoy seeing Val Kilmer in a role because he's another one that I miss quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, all right, so we'll save all that for our Batman Forever episode. But <laughs> we just did it. Let's just cut yeah. that part out and then yeah. just save it for. That's it. We did it. We did a twofer. Put it out for the the thirtieth anniversary in uh, yeah two years. Yeah. So this is in your top five, John. That uh, all right? That, yeah, roll, I man. think can't I, deny. I, I, I think so. and that, that might change. You know, like 
that that I could I could see it changing and bumping down the list, but for now it moved back up after kind of rediscovering it. So, but I could definitely see it because it, it's a lot. It's 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 clearly very very heavy on the Jim Carreyness. So if I start to tire of that again, this one will easily slide to the eight or nine spot. <laughs> but um, all right, should we take a look at uh, how it did at the box office with a little box office glory? Yes, please. Ace Ventura Pet Detective was filmed in the Miami area in the spring of 1993. It had, I, I heard a range of a budget. Tom Shadiak on the commentary said it was an $11 million budget, but I've also seen 15. So somewhere in that zone, 11 to $15 million. It opens February 4th, 1994 at number one. Huh. Yes. <laughs> Opening up against stiff competition with My Father the Hero. Oh. I'll do is that, anything. Is my Romeo's father the hero? Is my father the hero the Gerard Depardieu? Is that sure is? Indeed. Suck it, Depardieu. Catherine Classic. Heigl. <laughs> Catherine Heigl. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that was uh, was what was opening that week. It actually uh, took down Mrs. Doubtfire, who was in, who held the uh, number but one number spot one. for ten straight weeks, but in week eleven, Oof. dethroned by Ace. Wow. That's something. So imagine a ten comedy, weeks. a ten-week comedy running with Robin Williams at, at a peak uh, saturation of Robin Williams and a gener- generationally new generations meeting Robin Williams every couple of years, and then and then dethroned by another comedy with the yeah. the up and comer, the upstart. Uh, <laughs> that's very that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, in February. Uh, had a twelve point oh. one million dollar opening week. It uh, the total domestic run was seventy two million, another thirty five internationally for a hundred and seven million dollar run. So that's a that's a huge hit for for that budget, and obviously, like we said, just really shot uh, Jim Carrey out of a cannon. It is the number sixteen movie of nineteen ninety four, right between everyone's favorite Star Trek movie, Star Trek Generations, and Stargate. So, oh, what's Stargate? What, Awesome. The uh, sci-fi crowd was divided by uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> uh, the The Mask was uh, the number nine movie of that year, so definitely huh. capitalizing on the popularity of Jim Carrey probably pushed that one up further. So, and of course, the, go ahead, David. Considering the the uh, international, like you know, that that's a that's a decent haul for for making seventy two and making thirty five international. But like, and I never do this, and I don't I don't speak any other language uh, well other than English. But I kind of want to like, how did the German voice actor do? <laughs> all righty then or you know and like all the <laughs> just the weird way he talks like i want to hear this in all the languages now so like i need to i, I yeah how does that translate you yeah. can't just say the words like you have to perform ace ventura yeah, yeah. I, i'd love yeah. to see like a japanese the japanese <laughs> version of this like <laughs> so not to, not to sorry to interrupt the uh the <laughs> The, the box office talk i i'd like to see you know other you know foreign uh, remakes of this you know not just the the audio of it i want to see yeah. it <laughs> like they, yeah they, they shoot it <laughs> like yeah that would be amazing top uh, at the box office in 1994 was the lion king forrest gump and true lies 
Rick Moranis' Forrest Gump would have been incredible. Oh, man. <laughs> oh my, my God. God. He could have won an Oscar. That movie would have been Moranisized. Oh, my God. I've seen all he these movies. I saw uh, Stargate in the theater, Generations, Lion King, Forrest Gump, True Lies, uh, Doubtfire. Oh, my gosh. I was in the movies a lot in 94. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so all, a lot of cl- crowd pleasers, but uh, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is obviously huge for him. He, but I think it's really the mask that kind of cements him because the the success of that. Like, okay, now he just brought in over two hundred million dollars that year alone. So uh, that's really what cements him as an A list star, and, and he he never left. Um. The uh, Tom Shadiak does not return for the sequel. Unfortunately, he uh, was off doing the Nutty Professor, which was which was a uh, a big big movie as well in '96. The uh, let's talk about that sequel for a second. There's also a cartoon. Did anybody catch the Ace Ventura cartoon? No. Why would ex- you? I knew it existed, I know it, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch it. It yeah, it was really you know meant for little kids and. It, it, it's very, you know, very similar to the cartoon mannerisms and all his catchphrases and everything. But uh, we had aged out by that point. So there was um, also a The Mask cartoon on the air. I think on the same. I think it might have been on the same uh, network or whatever. But the, it's totally different style and design. And they did a crossover episode with the 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 weird design of Ace Ventura and the mat and the the mask. And they crossed over and talked to each other. Thank uh, God! Whoa, <laughs> and very strange. I remember saying, I I caught a piece of that, but that was it. <laughs> uh, so Ace Ventura two, uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on that. When Nature Calls, I was not a fan of that movie. It, yeah. I think there's like no. a couple of funny beats in it. Of course, the the Ryan rhinoceros, him climbing out of the rhinoceros's butt, pretty funny, but. Uh, Overall, it was just strange. It was you had such a good formula here that the really the traditional detective story, right, is the format of of the first film. And they take that away and, you know, send him to where's he somewhere in Africa. Right. And and it's just a really kind of strange setting to put him in. And the plot was much thinner. And it just, you know, I, I think it just wasn't working. Yeah, I don't even really remember the movie. I saw it the one time, and then yeah. that was it. So I don't even remember the plot or what was going on. And yes, I remember being a just kind of like, oh, that's shame. <laughs> like I, I remember liking bits of it, but I I couldn't recall uh much of it at all. Yeah, I only remember the rhino scene. That's it. Yeah, that's all. I do. Well, you know how he parks his car, so he drives this car, and you can't see through it in the first movie, and all that. So and then he's spin in the car to park it and all that and then he gets in a car accident and, and then i do remember in the second one though he he's driving a jeep and a vehicle and he just jacks the wheel and the car literally just does like a gigantic flip and then it lands right in the parking spot and i do remember that and i found that that's really funny i mean it's not really an ace thing it's a nice thing but it's not a perform it's not jim carrey doing anything like <laughs> it's just, just a funny a joke yeah. yeah i uh i meant to rewatch it for this because i was like I like to I like to be over prepared, but like I just didn't. And like I I'm pretty sure I have seen it. I think I saw it, but I think I saw it at either like the discount theater in Scranton when it was out, or I saw it at the drive-in. It was somewhere where I wasn't really paying attention to it, like a super amount. And yeah. so I have almost no memories of that movie. Uh, yeah. except that everyone is like, don't bother. 
That's about all. Yeah, it's very missable, but yeah. I mean, like you could catch highlights on YouTube or something and and you're good. You got the whole or, idea. Or don't, yeah. or don't, just don't. don't <laughs> just bother. move on. Yeah. There's a couple of funny things, but it's not worth spending, you know, 90 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes, whatever it is. So not, not, not when you could pop in a police academy or a cocoon. Cocoon. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying. Police Academy 5 is just sitting there. Why not watch it? <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> Operation Miami Beach. Get out of here. Yeah. Miami Come Beach. On. Once they get on. on the road, you know, that that yeah. really that series really takes off. The road episodes are really good. Yeah. Yeah. Moscow, when, uh, Mission of Moscow. Tackleberry's got the gun on the alligator. It's it's almost perfect cinema. <laughs> so, yeah. I think we kind of covered, you know, how we feel like it's aged. Uh, there's some problematic things, but worth a discussion. Not worth completely skipping the movie, definitely. Um, it's just something to be aware of that it, it exists there. Like so many movies and from from the the decades that we talk about but um yeah well i'm looking forward to you know covering more jim carrey movies this is the first one on reconsinimation so uh welcome of course welcome to the show jim courtney tom shadiak it's a pleasure having them here so glad this is my second troy evans movie because he was in teen wolf so (laughs) at least second i guess yeah a marathon. Yeah. I actually, uh, I saw Troy Evans at a, where were we had just seen Mad Max Fury Road and went for a bite to eat at the like bar right next to the theater we saw it at. And he was in there. And uh, nice. I was like, I really need to talk to Roger Pedactor. <laughs> I was too shy. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, Joe, so what, what, uh, what can everyone look forward to on it happened one year? What's, what's next? Uh, well, I mean, we're going to be uh, barreling forward with 84 for a while. I, in the past, the other seasons we've done, it's been about the same, about a year. Uh, this season, we started a little later. So I think we're doing 84 almost the rest of this year. It's going to be a lot because uh, we got a lot of scripted episodes coming up, uh, including the entire uh, Reconcinimation gang coming to pitch in, playing parts, part mm-hmm. of the mighty Ahoy players uh, who just people I'm roping in. To, to play some roles, we got a uh, we got an upcoming scripted episode based on the uh, famous Pressure Luck episode uh, when the guy figured out how the system worked and uh, and defeated it. Uh, and then later in this year, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start talking Geraldine Ferraro when we get closer to the presidential election. Uh, I think we're gonna do. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot on the horizon. Huh. Oh, uh, can I suggest maybe some murders? I'll, I'll try find, to find, find some murders. murders. Let's, let's see what happens. I mean, all those so, topics are cool. Thanks for the contribution. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not murder? Keeping it, keeping it dark. Why, why not? <laughs> well, that's awesome. We'll uh, we'll make sure we we stay tuned for everything that happens there. And and Joe, it, it is always nothing but a pleasure to have you here. And I'm I'm already excited. Come back and let's take a quick coffee break. Come back and we'll we'll find another. Uh, we'll bring it back here. Yeah, see if we got another, you know, another another Courtney Cox joint to get into. You want to do Masters of the Universe? I am ready right now. <laughs> I am prepared. I saw that. Lots I saw that in about. theater. I saw that in theaters. Yeah. So, um, yeah. does it have Troy Evans though? Because that's, I think the oh, there's at least at, a chance. I'm who played? It up. Uh, who was? Who played Beastman in that movie? It was, uh, <laughs> was Manny Faces. Come on. Hey, Troy Evans pops up in. He's in Twin Peaks. He's in uh, he's Near Dark. Like, yeah. yeah such a recognizable face but uh yeah we're excited to have you back and uh always love having you here and thank you to some of our other friends ek wimmer for the theme music as usual curtis moore for the poster 
You can check us out. We're a Reconsimation podcast on our social media platforms. Uh, check out our archives at Reconsimation.com, where you can check out seven other episodes that Joe's joined us for. Mm-hmm. But can and, you name uh, them all? <laughs> oh, that's the trivia. There you yeah, go. That's right. I did Will sleep you? through when we, while we were sleeping, so it could be not. <laughs> well, <laughs> you were sleeping, so I was. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm very excited. We got a cool lineup coming up, an interesting lineup coming up in February. A little romance, a little sports, a little sports romance, maybe. Ooh. Ooh. So we'll leave everybody hanging there. But uh, stay tuned. We will see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. You know, I, was, I had right? avenues to go down with like similar type characters throughout history. Like, wh- where does Ace Ventura fit in? Is it, you know, he's he's like Falstaff sort of, but he's also really involved in the plot. If Falstaff had, you know, led a mystery through, say, I don't know, the comedy of errors, is that just Ace Ventura? I don't know, maybe.